0: Let's take up now our Bibles and turn once again to the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll be reading and then preaching from Matthew 15. but I did want to read also a parallel passage in Mark seven, and the first thirteen verses of Mark seven before we read Mark or Matthew 15, one through nine, which will be the text from which I'll preach. To you about the commandments of God and the traditions of men. In Mark seven, the Holy Spirit is pleased to inspire Mark to write of the same event, and in slightly different words at certain points, but the word of God corresponding completely and without contradiction to the narrative in Matthew. In Mark seven. The word of God. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defile, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, his people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is, a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. That's Mark 7. And now Matthew 15, and the first nine verses. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were with who are from Jerusalem, came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you've made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's as far as we'll read the word of God, may God Bless us in the reading of Mark and Matthew, one word of God, and this speaks of the wonderful gospel and of the way we should respond to the gospel. May God bless us through the reading of that. And as we take up Matthew once again, we're reminded also in this passage in Matthew that Jesus is the king. Matthew's all about King Jesus come to fulfill the word of God, speaking of his being the king and to establish the kingdom in his blood. He came preaching and teaching the things of the gospel of the kingdom of God and of heaven that had come to pass. We've been seeing that in our series on Matthew, though we parted from that series already back in January when we began a series on the Exodus. But now we take up once again the gospel according to Matthew. And I'm excited, and I hope you are. And here we have this re uh, revisiting of a thing that's just so precious to us. You can hardly wait to speak it, and I hope you can hardly wait to hear it. This is about King Jesus, and at this time, it's about the authority of Jesus and the authority, so-called, of the scribes and Pharisees. The disciples and Jesus are, are walking along, and, and the scribes and Pharisees, perhaps an official delegation of them, come from uh, Jerusalem and they're seeking to trip up Jesus. They don't like Jesus. And as we've been considering in Matthew, increasingly as Jesus shows who he is and speaks the wisdom of God that he is and speaks with authority and not as the scribes and Pharisees. Oh, the Pharisees and scribes hate that. And so they want to trip him up. They've accused him of being a bastard, that is, an illegitimate son of a marriage which was no marriage. They didn't believe the conception of the Holy Spirit. They accused him of casting out devils in the name of Beelzebub and the servants of the devil himself. They uh, called him a blasphemer for forgiving sins when he healed the paralytic and other such things. They even accused him, the rescuer, of disregarding the Sabbath, being a Sabbath breaker. And here he accuses Jesus indirectly by accusing his disciples of uh, not washing their hands before they eat bread and thus transgressing the commandments of the elders, the, the aged ones, the respected ones of the scribes and Pharisees. So here, here you have it. It's a conflict. Wherever Jesus goes, there's a controversy and on the cross, that will be the epitome of all of the war that Jesus fought and for which he died. But here there's the war of words that is certainly very powerful. And Jesus would show that he's the word of God. Nobody can defeat the word of God. It will work its way into the hearts of men and convict them of sin or save them. But either way, it will be for the glory of God who is, whose word Jesus is. Well, we have here something that is uh, a very important uh, um, trial or controversy of Jesus about this thing called authority. Who is the king? Who's in command? Who tells us what to do? Does Jesus do the scribes and Pharisees? Does the church, leaders of the Jews, do the politicians, do the people uh, who are the, the, in the majority, maybe, who are shaping the new norms of society, what is this all about? And what can we learn from this as we consider Jesus confronting the, the Pharisees with their hypocrisy and claiming that they're, they're disregarding the commandments of God and they are promoting their doctrines as the commandments of God which they are not. So we want to consider this whole subject of the commandments of God and the traditions of men. And there's lots to be said on this, not only here, but from other points of view. But from this point of view, we'll be considering the commandments of God and the traditions of men. We want to consider, first of all, who's in command. It's a question of who is in command, God or lesser beings who is in command. And secondly, it's all about an ongoing conflict with Jesus. Significant is that the scribes and Pharisees don't go to the disciples themselves. They maybe are busy policing other people, but here and in the Bible we read especially that the scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus with their problem, but everything that Jesus stands for, including those who follow him, and their behavior. So there's an ongoing conflict with Jesus, as we shall see, this is at the heart of it. And finally, what is the calling for true disciples of God? Or what would we say? Scribes and elders came to us. Maybe the elders of the church came to you and said, no, no, you can't do this and that thing. And You suspected maybe that they were coming with traditions of men or with an authority that was not theirs. What would you do? Could you stand? Could your children stand? Could the catechumens stand? Give us that we can stand. And may it always be that wherever we're found, we're always glad disciples of the Savior. So a question of authority and who's in command. That first of all. The scribes and Pharisees were once, perhaps, decent Jews. They are those at this time in the first century, according to Matthew, who are aberrant. They've left the word of God and they've left true religion and this comes out, they would crucify Jesus. But initially, it could be that they were the ones who were towing the line against the Hellenistic influence, the secularism, as we would call it, the humanism. And so Pharisee uh, may very well mean separate ones. They were the holy ones who, thought, who sought by, by their claiming the word of God as the only standard to be the ones who were standing for orthodoxy. They were the ultra-conservatives in the, in, the, in the day. And so what happened was they would start adding to the word of God, and not in a bad way. They would have traditions and behaviors that they would promote among the congregations entrusted to them in the synagogues and all over the diaspora, the dispersion, the lands around Jerusalem where the Jews settled after their being brought to captivity. Not many people Not all the people, certainly, returned to the promised land. They were all around, and there were synagogues, and they were preserved in the faith by these traditions, the things, the teachings that they would learn that were not necessarily the commandments of God, but they were to help the people to see the holiness of the law of God, the Torah, all the revealed will of God, and to be holy. And so they were like fences put around the Grand Canyon to keep people from falling in to the Grand Canyon, and to keep people even from climbing over that. And and so, but gradually they built more and more fences that were so high you couldn't even see the Grand Canyon. Or they were further and further away from the commandments of God and you couldn't even know what they were protecting. And and at the time of Jesus, this was the situation. There were lots of commandments about the Sabbath day and keeping that. And as we read here, there were lots of commandments about washing your hands, children. Imagine that. Mom and dad have a hard enough time getting you to wash your hands with soap or behind the ears, in the shower, or using any soap at all there. They would wash hands, and they had a religious reason. They'd wash cups. They'd wash couches, Mark says. They'd wash all kinds of things. And this was not... In the Bible, though, there was lots of washings symbolizing the need for purity in the worship of God. But these went overboard. These commands were added to the word of God to try to protect the people from uh, from unholiness. But by and by, it simply became that these laws were to promote the power of the clergy. Oh, however, that has been a bane in the church of Christ. Power-mongering clergy. Guys like me, wanting the power. Or like the elders, wanting the power. The clout, and the greatest power and clout that you can have that makes you feel the best if you're a proud man. Religious power. Control over the minds, over the hearts, and over the pocketbooks of the people of God. Amazing how the devil works, and he works uh, for absolute power in the church, that power that corrupts absolutely and turns everybody from God to men. And so by that, they were adding to the word of God, and this was not right for them. By this, they were making the word of God of none effect by their tradition. Now, the meaning of that, as Jesus says in verse 6, that you've made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition, is that they were nullifying the authority of God, that they were really saying God isn't important here and what he has said is not so important. But what we have added to it, or how we have described the commandments and requirements of God, that is the important thing. God has only said this and only commanded this. He needs some help. And if, in fact, that we were on Sinai and giving the law to Moses and they would speak as men saying this, we would have said this. That would have been smarter and more looking ahead to the the men and the women who would be so sinful as to transgress. And and we're even going to say, because you forbid taking the name of Jehovah in vain, we're even going to say to the people, don't even pronounce it. And that's what they were doing at that time, too. But I want to stick with just what is mentioned here. Their ultra persnicketiness in all the details of washing. Washing. They're washing their hands. And they're they're thinking that they're going to purify themselves. And, And you can imagine the Clorox smell or whatever smell. The washed hands to get all the blood off, maybe, and the sacrifices and all these things. But now Jesus... He goes one step further, and he speaks of especially an instance where these people were transgressing the commandment of God because of their tradition. They weren't, even, they weren't just adding to the word of God and taking away the force of the word of God that way, but they were twisting it. And so Jesus cites the fifth commandment, Deuteronomy 5, Exodus 20. We read it every Sunday. Honor your father and your mother. And then he cites, pointing out the significance of this, Exodus 21 and verse 17, which says, he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. So it's that important. You've got to honor your parents and don't you dare curse them or you're going to be stoned. Something here of the tremendous weight of authorities in our lives, beginning with parents and then in all of life we are to respect them, to honor them, even the mother who is the weaker one. Now, what they were doing is <clears throat> they were saying, Whoever says to his father or mother, mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift of God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Well, here's what they were doing. They were trying to get around this honoring of parents and maybe taking care of them in their penury in their poverty, in their need, maybe as they're growing older. So what the Pharisees and scribes were doing and they were promoting is they were promoting a setting aside of money, maybe a savings account, that might have been used in the service of their parents, and they were saying, no, that's dedicated for God. We're going to pay the temple tax by that. We're going to pay our tithes by that, and we, we can't care for our parents because we're keeping this commandment and we're keeping the worship. Now, didn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't it sound good? Doesn't it make any minister's ears re, uh, ring and his heart be full of joy when people actually seek the f- kingdom first in that way, setting aside money, the not the, the bottom half or the bottom tenth, but the first, the best? Doesn't that make an elder's... Day when he goes in the house visitation and there the people are saying, we do this first for the kingdom. Doesn't even matter what we eat. But here's the problem. These people were saying in the name of putting God first that the parents don't count. That was their commandment. That was their tradition. Parents don't count. That is, they're not near so, so important of God. And everybody, everybody would agree with that, of course. God is God and not our parents. But they were ignoring the fact that God also says, not only honor me, but honor your parents. In fact, you cannot honor me if you don't honor your parents. Impossible. The first commandment is love God. The second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And they go together. They go together. So John and The epistles of John, the apostle says, if you say you love God and you hate your brother, uh -uh, I don't believe you. Certainly, if you say you love God and you're giving to the cause of Jesus Christ and you're not caring for your parents, you're worse than an infidel. That's something. And it's not merely that parents are so important, and they are. And we would honor them but it's saying that God is important. That's the key. And the scribes and the Pharisees, in the name of power, in the name of perversity, in the name of pride, we're saying what we say is more important. It's safe. It safeguards the treasury that we need to carry on the business of religion. Who knows? Maybe they needed more money for a slick advertising campaign. You've got to set that aside. We need this. We need the brightest and the best ways of advertising to keep people in, the young people especially, and to draw them in. And so we're going to buy a $100,000 sound system here and this and that and oh yeah! Jesus says, your traditions of men are despicable because by them you're simply saying that the commandments of God are not important and we know better and even our parents are not that important because we have done this great thing for God. Jesus calls it like it is. I'm just going right down the text here. He calls them hypocrites. He quotes the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 29, verse 13. These people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines, uh, the commandments of men. I want to read from that chapter, Isaiah 29, verse 13. And the Striking there. Uh, what he says to those after he's pronouncing woe for them who honor me with their lips, but they've removed their hearts far from me, verse 13. Their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men, and therefore he pronounces judgment upon them. But later on in verse 16 it says, Surely you have, turned thing, you, have, you have things turned around. That's striking. You have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me? Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? The idea, beloved, is that the people of God made in the image of God were now making God in their own image and by their being the commandment givers now and the authorities by their own saying they were the authorities of God, even though they didn't bring his word, they were turning everything around. They were being as God when they had no right to do that because they weren't representing God. And it was a, a terrible time in Israel, when, or in Judah, when Isaiah prophesied, and how much more today, when Jesus came. They had twisted everything around. It was that bad. They didn't have an idea of what the kingdom of heaven was really like, even though it was upon them. The law of God they had substituted for uh, by their own doctrines, commandments of men, their traditions, those really steady things that could never be changed, that were passed on from father to son. And Jesus comes and blows it all away. He says you're a bunch of hypocrites. That means you're two faced. You got on your religious face and underneath you got your greedy face on. And your proud face. That hypocrite is. Where's a face? Seems good. Seems like one thing. But underneath the mask was another one. That's the issue, and it always is, beloved. Who's in command? Who's in command? Isn't that the issue today? Who's in command of everything? Not only in the church, but in this whole world. Who is in control? It's all about power. Some have said that even in the church, <clears throat> There has been a substitute for the power of love. It's now the love of power. The love of power. That was the problem at Corinth, studying that in our Bible studies. The Corinthian problem was the love of power, really. So they promoted the great spiritual gifts of tongues and prophesying and healing and so on. And Paul says you need a heavy dose of the love of God. Without love, you're nothing. Do your trumpet. tout yourself. Bring your commandments. Pretend you're the authorities of God. Gain a following. These people like to be ruled. They like to be ruled. They like to do something that's following the rules. But Jesus says, if you're not lovers of God and lovers of people and lovers of truth, away with you. Hypocrites, blasphemers, and it's not my disciples that are the problem, Jesus is saying, it's you, you guys. You're the problem, and you're the true troublers in Israel. In vain, in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. Well, I've got to move on here, beloved. Beloved. Because I want to say what really is at the heart of this. This is a conflict with Jesus, and it's an ongoing conflict with Jesus. Continues their conflict with him. whom They said was a bastard, illegitimate child, not certainly the son of man or the son of God, false teacher, a usurper of the rights of God, saying that he could forgive sins as well as heal. They denied his true power to... Calm the wind and the waves. They didn't believe that. That was just a trick. And they refused to give him the right to be called the fulfillment of all the prophets and all the law. So they came to his disciples and they were really coming to Jesus and saying, you're transgressing the tradition of elders and you, therefore, have no authority. You are... A novice and a novelist, in the sense of the word that you're doing something new. You want something new. You're trying to gain a following, Jesus. The people are going after you, but we have the tradition of the elders. And we've been around a long time. We're the ancient people of God. And who are you? What's your lineage? They hated Jesus. Think of Jesus' message. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, here's why when Jesus confronts them with their being, the ones who are denying God's commandments, here's why it's so important that we understand this, that they're really conflicting with Jesus because of this. These people were saying, here's the will of God. Wash your hands. Twice. Maybe use a holy baptismal font. Wash your hands. And then, that's after a meal. And then when you're, when you're going to the marketplace, because you're going to be among the goyim there. The goyim were the nations, the heathen. You he might be dirtied, so make sure you wash your hands again. You lay down on a couch, make sure you wash your hands again. And it's not just about, you know, we're, we're wanting to be healthy here and not get COVID. We don't want to get sin. That's what they're saying. But when anybody does that, maybe the church does that, do this, do this, do this, you're in. Here's what it's doing. It's distorting the standard of holiness. It's making a rule that people can keep. For after all, washing your hands is pretty easy, isn't it? There's nothing there about cleansing your hearts, as we heard this morning in James. But washing your hands, we can do that. And, and climbing up the stairs of St. Peter's Basilica on our knees, we can do that, as, as Luther found. When he sought to out-monk the monks, that he could be the highest monk in the kingdom of heaven by his works, by his righteousness, by his crawling... But all of this, you see, is a religion without Jesus. Because what happens is, there's a religion invented without sin. There's no sin when you make laws up that you can keep. And especially, there's no sin when you make laws up that other people have to keep. And you feel pretty good about yourself because you can keep the laws better than they can. And it's all this competition, this religious competition. And Jesus came to blow that all away and to say, Hold it! God is God and He requires holy things and holy devotion and having Him and no other God and taking not His name in vain and having a religion of the heart and approaching God not only with clean hands but with a clean heart And at the same time, you better be asking the question who shall ascend into the holy hill of God? Only he that hath clean hands and a perfect heart. And so admitting we can't do it. So there's no sin. By and by, there's no sin, not really. When you're substituting for the commandments of God, the traditions of men, all it is is about human beings. And paying enough money talking the talk and walking the walk of a club and when you see churches like that it's the scariest thing on the planet because those are the worst and grossest hypocrites ever because we put on more than a face here beloved but we truly believe that Jesus is savior of us Sinners. So, denying sin, there's no need for Jesus. But affirming that sin is sin as God commands it, or as, because God's commandments are broken, then we really know we need Jesus. And so Jesus comes along and they're running head on to Jesus, into Jesus. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he's the one who represents God, who says, I desire not sacrifice, but mercy. I want to show mercy. I want to come to you, and then you will come to me. But first I come to you, and I will have mercy on you, and will show you that I am the God of mercy, and you cannot ascend unto God except you have someone in between you and God, even the Savior. So the scribes and Pharisees, they were denying that Jesus had to die on the cross. That's for sure. Denying that the righteousness and justice of God had to be satisfied by an atonement and a substitute that Jesus would be and was. So they were denying the authority of God and they were denying the God of the authority was right in front of them. And the God who's also the God of mercy. That's why, and I made a personal comment about this before we prayed, reflecting upon singing the, of the testimonies. That's why I love the law of God. Teaches me of Jesus. Can I teach you that? Teaches me that by the grace of God and teaches you that by the grace of God, you become like Jesus. You become righteous. And you have a small beginning to be sure, but you're, you're doing the things that Jesus wants you to do. And God says his true religion. You're beginning to be holy. And we see it among you. You see it in your families, don't you? We're more and more holy. We're not happy just with this world and getting stuff, and only when we have enough stuff. We're only happy with God. And we're happy that He comes to us in Jesus and He diverts the attention from everybody and their rules and everybody and their goodnesses, trumped up or otherwise. And, and turns everybody to himself. And says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, under the burdens of the Pharisees, and under the burdens and the guilt that the law brings upon you as you are in yourselves. Come unto me, and I will give you rest. I'm the Savior, true. They're a bunch of hypocrites. They're two-faced. I, Jesus says... I'm the real face of God. I'm the way and the truth and the life to and of the Father. Do you believe that? Believe that? That's salvation. Believe Him. And throw out whatever everybody else said about Jesus that was just distorted. And then we could have another Savior, maybe. Why not? If one's good, two's got to be better. One faith is good, I'll be the defender of the faiths, says the new king of England. I'll be the defender of all ways to God and to finding some happiness in this life. Jesus says, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And hear me, I speak from heaven. And do not conflict with me, but believe on me. Do not challenge me, worship me. Jesus says to you today and to me, Today. So you had the supper. I hear, you can imagine Jesus saying, I speak as a man. Now do all in your eating and drinking unto me, because I've filled you once again. And you've done this in remembrance of me, you say, well, remember me tomorrow. Remember me tomorrow and be intentional In all of your doing and your thinking about what you're going to do, don't just float along and, you know, I'll just do in this time whatever happens. You have that attitude. Yeah, a lot will happen maybe. But God wants us to be focused and to be willing to be his people, loving and and being directed by an overall purpose and then buy the word of God for the next thing. And ladies, you're beautiful. Single and married, you're beautiful. You're of God. Don't let people tell you that it's not significant to do little things. You do a lot of little things sometimes if you're called to be a mother in the home, for example. You bear the covenant seed, You say one word all day, no, no, no. And nobody really appreciates that, not even the husbands sometimes. But true religion is saying, my Jesus is everything to me, and so therefore I am happy in him, and I'm not going to let anybody tell me that he's not enough and his grace isn't enough for me. For this heartache I have, this challenge that seems impossible. In vain does anybody worship God without Jesus. Without faith in Jesus, your heart will be far from God. Because, beloved, don't you see, the Bible teaches that Jesus is the heart of God. He is the heartbeat of God and is coming down to this earth and into your place and your shoreline and your house and your home and your heart, that's a token of how much he loves you and how much he loves me. It's an ongoing confrontation. And I'm only thinking about the scribes and Pharisees. I've been thinking about that in this point. But think about everybody today, beloved, who aren't even close to the law of God revealed in the Old Testament. They're not even close to the law of God revealed and written on their hearts in the conscience, Paul says in Romans 2. They're establishing new norms. There's a new norm for sexuality. They call it the new normal, it's really a new norm. Basically, it's anything goes. Up is down, down is up, it's okay. Male is female, female is male, it's okay. Because you're deciding, and you and maybe two or three others, if you say it long enough and loud enough that you're being discriminated against, and it's racist for people to to do this or that or to say, no, I'm not going to, to officiate at your homosexual wedding, You do that long enough and the politicians, they follow you and the rest of society, which is loose from Jesus if ever there was one today, will say, yes, that's okay. That's a good norm for you. A new normal, a new standard. This is what postmodernism is all about if you want to know the big word for that. And how the theologians described a people that's gone from the word of God and they're even gone from any kind of thinking that there's any one standard. It's all new, new, new. New norms here, new norms there. And it's not about simply socialism taking over or fascism. It's it's just blasphemy, disgusting. No need for Jesus, though, see? No need for Jesus. No need for religion. No need for approaching God, who's God above, and who alone is God. But Jesus says otherwise here. And we must say otherwise. And that leads to my final point. Believe the authority of God. That's the first thing. God's in control, and God is in control of your life. He's your Lord. And don't make anything up as if God gave you the liberty to live by a different standard. That's why it's a good thing regularly to read the commandments of God. No other standard. That's what we're told every single Lord's Day. No No other standard. No other standard. Oh the way to heaven then by the blood of Jesus that cleanses sinners who've broken every commandment every day. Submit to that. Children, young people, submit to that. Here's some commandments. Honor your father and your mother. Right here. Honor your father and your mother. Be warned by the threatening of the Old Testament. Those who blaspheme mom and dad, those who live in constant disobedience and disrespect, they were to be stoned in the Old Testament. The sign of the perilous times are people are disobedient to their parents. Children are. Be Careful. And all those commandments, all the commandments about approaching to God and renouncing yourself and believing on the Lord Jesus, that's the new commandment. Love God and Jesus revealed, and love each other for Jesus' sake. They're now before us, and we're responsible to keep them. Yield to that. But then you come to Jesus. He's the one who represents God, not only as the Lord but as the Savior, as the one who forgives and as the one who's tender with you. Now, as you're hearing, and hopefully as you're pierced by the the Spirit working with the Word, and the sword is is stabbing you relentlessly and going into the innermost recesses of your heart where you really want to hide. You hear that? Receiving that sword? Oh yes, the preacher is comforting the people, but first he must discomfort the people, starting with himself, so that we find our own Righteousness in Christ, our personal righteousness in Christ. And don't ever make up commandments that aren't the commandments of God. Just a word here in closing about traditions. Traditions get a bad rub here, don't they? Traditions of men do and doctrines that are taught of men and not of God. But having said that, traditions themselves are not wrong. And here's how people go the other other way. Uh, They go overboard. No traditions here of men, therefore no traditions. And therefore, Jesus is giving us the liberty to do whatever we want and Whatever is new, whatever is catchy, and whatever is the next thing. How about contemporary worship? Let's let's do that. In distinction from what was called traditional worship, and we'll have two services, and invariably the older ones go to the, I guess it would be the late morning ones, the traditional service, and the younger ones would go to the contemporary. I don't know how they work it out. But there's a difference made then between traditional and contemporary. But, beloved, the fact is, Traditions are good and, and traditions are necessary. And parents telling their children that it's a good thing to go to bed early and so 10 o'clock is curfew is a good thing. And traditions of worshiping twice in the Lord's Day, and this is not a command, by the way, that we worship twice in the Lord's Day. It is a tradition, however, that's a good one and a godly one. We could worship three times a day. The Bible doesn't say clearly that this is the will of God. But in the providence of God and because we've received faith and the faith, we're glad for that. And we're not being Pharisees. We're not building walls so that you don't see the Word of God. We're creating opportunities, if we can say that, creating opportunities for the people of God to worship as often as they can, and we're opening up the truth as it is in Jesus to you. Now that is something I want to do, isn't it? What you want to do. So parents and leaders in the church, we these people who are glad for having received a, church, a truth, and we want to preserve it. We want to do that, and we'll do whatever we can, and we'll use the means of grace that are commanded of God, but we're not going to go overboard and make them the main thing, those things that are what are called adiaphora, even though they be important. We're not going to make them either the hills we die on, though there's arguing about that. There could be. and certainly not the commandments of God. So be free under the authority of God and be holy because you're loved of God to be holy. That's who you are, beloved. As you rise up from the table, this is application of the Lord's Supper of which we partake in. Aren't you full? You've heard of the truth as it is in Jesus. Aren't we happy? Aren't we going to go around now and say, what possibilities in Christ I have What a word from heaven we have. I'm going to be in this word, and I'm going to send my kids to be catechized, and and we're going to teach them at home, and we're all going to learn together and sit at Jesus' feet as a preparation for the Feast of Heaven. Can't wait for that, can you? Glad to be back in Matthew. Glad to visit with you around the Savior's word again tonight. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. Serving the Lord, happy in him. Come what may. Kings and queens, they come and go. Disasters come to societies. And we're, celebrate, we're thinking upon these things today, aren't we? But one thing is changeless. The truth of the gospel. The good news. Jesus, the savior of sinners. Amen. Thanks, Lord, for the wonderful word you give. The wonderful word as it is in Jesus that we will hold until our dying breath, and because you hold us. And we pray that each and every one may receive the word, believe the word, and hold fast that which is true. And we pray that we may stand in it, and we may be the church of today, not only but of tomorrow, standing when everything else seems to be falling apart and falling down and decaying. Here is the church of Christ and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Sovereign grace by sovereign grace, by the grace of God we are and shall be what we are and shall be. For Jesus' sake, amen.